We've begun a new sermon series on Matthew 13. Actually, we're like three sermons into this new sermon series. Matthew 13, looking at the parables of Jesus and talking about sharing Jesus. Uh, Really looking at how the kingdom spreads. (laughs) And one thing I have to say is, the kingdom spreads. I mean, that is an undeniable fact. It started off with maybe, let's say, 11 men. Because Judas was taken out of the mix. Maybe there were a few others as well. Certainly some of the women who saw Jesus at the tomb. So maybe, what, 20, 30, 40 people um, at the the earliest, earliest stages. And now we're looking at about one-third of the population of the entire planet (laughs) claims to follow Jesus or claims to be a Christian. The sincerity and genuineness of that God will judge. But one-third of the planet claims to believe in Jesus over the entire, almost the entire Christians can be found almost over the entire globe. Uh, The kingdom spreads. So Jesus' parables here have have shown themselves to be true without a doubt throughout history. He's shown that he's been prophetically accurate as to what's happened. Um, But the question is, where is it all going? (laughs) So it's spreading. It's spreading all over the world. um, And and to what end? What's going to happen? Where's this all leading to? Uh, We're about the mission of God and what's what's the finality of it. Look with me at Matthew 13. We're going to look at a, a parable, maybe one of the lesser known parables of Jesus. My guess is if you've been to church, um, you know, growing up, you probably have heard the parable of the sower before, the four soils. That's the one we covered last week. Um, this is the parable of the weeds, uh, the weeds and the wheat. And this may be one that you're familiar with, maybe not, uh, but listen to the words of Jesus. We're going to start at verse 24 and go to 30 and then skip ahead to 36 to 43 because Jesus again gives an explanation of the parable which which just is a reminder he doesn't do that for all the parables very few of them but on the sower and on this one we do get an explanation so look with me um, or look at the you'll have it up on the screen as well at Matthew 13 starting at verse 24 he put another parable before them saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Skipping down to verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. 
He who has ears, let him hear. Uh, one of the more sobering parables, I think, of Jesus, but that the world will fill up. The world will fill up with both Christians and non-Christians until the end. The world will fill up with Christians and non-Christians until the end. Outline in your bulletin, as always, if you want to take notes. Uh, first, the world is filling up with Christians we're going to look at. Then the world is filling up with non-Christians. And then, thirdly, the harvest comes and destinies will be revealed. So first, the world is filling up with Christians. And again, Jesus, of course, gives us an explanation. Uh, we'll look at that. The, the crowds leave after Jesus tells this parable to the crowds. Again, maybe tens of thousands of people. And then the disciples come and say, give us a, an explanation. Give us a deeper understanding of what you're trying to say here. And Jesus says uh, that, the good, that the sower, in this case, is the Son of Man. Uh, the Son of Man is a reference to the Messiah. comes out of the book of Daniel. Uh, Jesus often called himself the Son of Man. Uh, so kind of read between the lines. He is claiming to be the Messiah, clearly. He says the field is the world. That's important. Um, the, the field is not the church. Some over history, some theologians, um, have taken this to refer to a mixture of Christians and non-Christians in the church. But he says very specifically, very explicitly, that the field refers to the world. And he says the good seed that is sown are the sons of the kingdom. Uh, so you have here God saying, I'm, I'm, I'm creating a field out of this world, and I'm cultivating it, and I'm planting sons and daughters for the kingdom. I'm, I'm planting people who will love and to worship me, uh, people I think he's referring to here, Christians who believe in Jesus. Um, that's the point of the field. That's the goal of the sower. That's what he wants to achieve from this field, this world that he has created, people who enjoy God and glorify him forever. That's what he's seeking. And Jesus is saying uh, that this field, <laughs> this world, will continue to grow and grow and grow when it comes to wheat. Uh, the gospel will spread. Jesus gave us the great commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, um, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. The gospel goes out from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Again and again, the Bible describes that the kingdom will actually spread and grow towards a harvest. Um, by the way, as I said in the beginning, uh, this is undeniably true. <laughs> the world has become far more Christian than it was certainly 2,000 years ago. Um, you might think, because you kind of hear this a lot, that the world is becoming more secular, uh, that people are becoming less and less religious, and that we're growing towards a, um, from a different perspective, a utopia in which most people don't believe there's any God and we just live um, in a sort of secular society. That is completely false. Uh, completely false in the world. Actually, people are becoming more and more religious around the world. Um, and, and it's just the broader religious, all different types of religion. Actually, the fastest growing religion in the world right now is Islam. Islam is growing very rapidly around the world. But Christianity is still the largest religion. And it's still, the uh, if you see it as a religion, uh, we could talk about that. Uh, but it is also still growing fairly rapidly. Um, if, you see, if you look at a world map and the spread of Christianity, what has happened, it is shocking to see. Uh, specifically right now in Africa, in Asia, and in South America. Places that have never even heard the name of Jesus are hearing about Jesus decade by decade, or even year after year. Certain places are hearing the gospel that would never 
have heard it before. And you might say, well, okay, but what about North America? What about the United States? Maybe Europe? Aren't we becoming more and more secular? Yes and no. Even there, you got to kind of look behind this, the, the line, between the lines of what's happening. First of all, immigration is actually holding the Christian faith pretty steady in Europe and in the United States because immigrants tend to be far more religious and particularly um, Christian, but there's all different religions certainly thrown in there, than typical Anglo-American. So that's kind of holding the Christian faith in the United States and in, in Europe. But more than that, uh, we have a lot of people who now identify themselves as nuns. Uh, and I don't mean the kind that wear the habit and uh, go live in convents. Uh, nuns meaning N-O-N-E-S. Uh, so they used to claim the Christian faith, and now they would check the box that says none when it comes to religion. We call them the nuns. And what we found is primarily those who claim to be none uh, are those who were more nominal in their Christian faith before. So in the 1950s, if you didn't really have any real religious affiliation, you, didn't really, you really just weren't into religion at all in any way, you'd probably say, well, I'm, I'm Catholic, I'm Methodist, I'm Baptist. You know, you, you, you identify with perhaps the tradition of your parents. Well, those people now say, I'm none. They have no more association. Uh, but that those who are, were active, church-going, Bible-reading, serious about their faith, Christians, uh, haven't begun to shrunk at all. Here's Tim Keller. The demographers tell us the 21st century will be less secular than the 20th. There have been seismic religious shifts toward Christianity in sub-Saharan Africa and China, while evangelicalism and Pentecostalism have grown exponentially in Latin America. Even in the United States, the growth of the nuns has been mainly among those who had been more nominal in their relationship to faith, while the devoutly religious in the United States and Europe are growing. In fact, this is what the research shows. So if you like statistics, um, Pew Research, which is kind of the primary place you go to for these type of statistics, estimates by 2060, so if the trends continue that they, the way they're going, by the year 2060, if the Lord should tarry, uh, Christianity will still be the largest. It will grow from 31% of the population to 32%, which is a huge amount when you're talking about the world population, right? Islam will grow from 24% to 31%. Atheists, agnostic, and nuns will go from 16% to 13%. Actually, secularism is actually getting re removed from the world. It's becoming less and less common. Why? Because Jesus said, the harvest grows. We move towards the direction of the kingdom reaching the ends of the earth. And now this isn't just, that's the statistic. <laughs> but being there in person um, in a few of these places is, is something to behold. And, and don't just take my word for it. Talk to others. I've heard our, our brother Ambrose talk about this in community group, um, what's happening in Nigeria, but uh, spending some time in China and in Nepal and even in Israel to some degree, uh, seeing the gospel reach people who have never even knew anything about Jesus for the first time. I, I mentioned this before, but I was sitting there in a state-established Chinese church. And I was thinking it's going to be very compromised. They literally have cameras from the government watching everything they do. I'm expecting that the sermon's going to be totally watered down because they, they're, they're, they actually have certain restrictions of what they're allowed to preach on. 
and the pastor gets up and preaches a biblically faithful sermon specifically about saying, uh, from the book of Daniel saying, even if we get thrown into the furnace, we will not bow down and worship your statue. And I remember thinking, and this is partly because of my own Asian background, but I watched the, the choir stand up and sing praises to Jesus. And, and most of them are first generation Christians. And I was just emotionally just overtaken to watch these young girls boys singing the praises of our savior and that's happening all around the world friends all around the world and jesus said that's exactly what's going to happen the wheat will grow and grow and grow until the end what does that mean for us let me just say this first of all be confident <laughs> be confident uh, you're you're fighting if you're if you're busy sharing christ as we should be and that's what we want to be as a church you're fighting a winning battle <laughs> You, it, is, it is a successful battle. It will win in the end. That's the promise of Jesus, and we have 2,000 years of history that has already confirmed that's exactly the direction things are going. Now, understand, that doesn't mean that every smaller setting uh, will win the day. Certainly, people, the individuals that you talk to about Jesus may reject Jesus and reject Jesus right into the day in which they pass away. And then we leave them into God's hands, God who is good and faithful and just. And certainly, friends, we can say that Christianity can be stomped out of a certain area. Uh, sometimes I think as Christians we can glorify persecution and say, well, persecution strengthens the church. Well, sometimes, sometimes it actually kills the church. And that's what we've seen in places like Iraq. Uh, there's almost no Christians in there. The persecution was so strong and so vicious that you can hardly find Christians in the whole entire country of Iraq. And it doesn't mean an individual church won't fail. When Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, he's talking about the big church. Local churches close their doors and give up and end up moving on to something else. That happens all the time. I've heard in Europe, uh, you can go to a lot of bar, pubs and restaurants in old church buildings. I mean, because that's what happens. The old church building sits there. and Who buys it? Some pub says, let's turn this into a, uh, I'll buy the building and turn it into a pub. So you could sort of, the, they call it the ghost of Christianity as it used to have that cultural setting there. But understand, all those smaller battles might be lost, but the larger picture, spiritual battle, will be won. And the second thing I would say about this is, there's two responses we could have to this. Now, we could say, you know what? It's going to happen whether I take part in this or not. So I might as well just sit back and relax and watch it happen. <laughs> The gospel is going to reach the ends of the earth, and that's God's promise. So whether I actively share Jesus or not makes no real difference. God's going to work out his plan. And you can do that, and he will work out his plan, and you'll be in disobedience to him. <laughs> but you can do that. You're not going to stop his plan and stop his work. Or, and far more excitingly, <laughs> we can say, this is the mission that I get to be part of. God has promised this is going to happen. It's going to reach the ends of the earth every ethne every people group under the planet will hear about the gospel and i can jump in and be part of god's work that he's using means to get to that end uh, that when we do evangelistic work we are we can be confident of of 100 success <laughs> even if someone doesn't receive the gospel because god is still working out his perfect plan in his time and in his way god fills the field with wheat which grow and grow and grow. That's not the end of the parable, is it? In fact, this is called by Jesus the 
parable of the weeds, uh, or at least by Matthew in verse 36. The field then gets filled with weeds. How does this happen? The enemies of the farmer come at night and they plant something called darnel, most likely. The Greek word is zizania. And believe it or not, eco-terrorism was a thing back in the first century. This is a way you would attack your opponent, your competitor, uh, when it comes to farming. You would sneak into his field at night and you could plant something that looks a lot like wheat and that they would not be able to tell the difference for quite a while. By harvest time, of course, you'd see the difference because Darnell doesn't actually grow any wheat, anything that's usable other than for fuel to be burned up. Somebody sneaks in and plants these weeds. Jesus tells us the weeds refers to sons of the evil one. He describes them later on as those who cause sin, those who are lawbreakers. Again, those are, that's the fruit of a, of a rejection of God as king and as Lord. That's what a life looks like, separated from God. The servants, we described as angels, say, what do you want us to do? Do you, do you want us to pull out all of the, the, the weeds? I mean, it's hard to tell which is which, but we'll try to pull out the weeds. And, of course, the master of the house says, no, no, leave them be, because if you pull out the weeds, you might pull out some of the sons of the kingdom. You might pull out some of the wheat. Leave them be. And in the harvest time, you'll be separated. Here's the interesting thing that Jesus is saying that also rings completely true. Is the world growing more Christian? Yes. Is the world getting better? Well, I hope so. I mean, uh, for, for one, if, if there are more believers whose lives have been transformed by grace and are expressing Christian love, that should affect the world. And we do see that. Hospitals and orphanages and schools are being built all over the world and people are being helped and cared for. But is the world at the same time getting worse? And the answer is yes. Some people ask the question, is the world getting better or is the world getting worse? For those who want to say that it's getting better, uh, think of maybe uh, if, if, you, if you like to read Stephen Pinker, The Better Angels of Our Nature. He teaches at Harvard, wrote a book. He's a humanist, uh, basically saying the world is far better. And he makes his point very well. Uh, the world in many ways is better. My guess is everyone in this room, no one in this room would want to live 100 years ago. It sounds romantic to live 100 years ago. You probably wouldn't want to. <laughs> the world was a much worse place. I... Uh, I mentioned last week, I admitted, I admitted publicly last week that I'm getting into Downton Abbey. And uh, my, my son, my college son, texted me, he said, Dad, I leave home for college for two months, and this happens. So, so you're going to hurt. But even, even Downton Abbey, those who know the story, that's the top 1% that gets to live like that, right? The other 99% don't have anything near that level of, of affluence. And even that 1%, I don't want to give away the story for anyone who decides to wear it, but you see things like the Spanish flu and death during pregnancy. and you know, That's what happens, and that was very common back then. Oh, the world is getting better. As those who bear God's image, we advance techno medical technology, and that's all for good. We're, we're supposed to subdue the earth and move it forward. But yet, the world is also becoming far more evil. Why? Because there's far more people. <laughs> there are far more sinners in this world. And that includes us, by the way. What do sinners do? They sin. They go to war with one another. They create weapons 
of mass destruction like nuclear, uh, nuclear bombs that can wipe out whole cities and nations. Next month, we're going to have, Lord willing, one of our missionary families here who are ministering in Hiroshima. Imagine ministering in the aftermath there in, in Hiroshima. You have more people. What happens, more sinners, you have things like school shootings or even someone who would walk into a church during a wedding and shoot people to take their li- seek to take their lives. The world is filled with more death, with more suffering, with more disease. And certainly this means this, the world is filled with more various beliefs. <laughs> it's not just the Christian faith that's growing. You have more people, so you have all different beliefs. Uh, not only just other religions, the big thing, especially in the United States and in Europe right now, is syncretism, which is, you don't just believe in one belief. Why would I limit myself to one belief? Uh, it's kind of like clothing, getting dressed, right? I don't know, you know. I'm going to wear, wear these type of socks and these type, this type of you know, tie and shirt and whatever. I think I'll take a little bit from this religion, a little bit from Hinduism, and a little bit from Buddhism, and a little bit from Christianity because I like that part. We just kind of create our own sort of <laughs> mixture of religions. So you can have actually endless amounts of different belief systems now. The world is filled, as he says here, with weeds. Not everyone is enjoying God and glorifying him forever. There are many who are living in all different ways. Uh, and the world is growing exponentially. I actually have a chart for this here. Uh, pretty amazing, actually. This is how exponential growth works. You know, if everybody has 2.5 kids, every, every two people have 2.5 kids, and of course in some countries it's more than that, and um, what happens? Things grow very quickly. So you can maybe not read that thoroughly there, but in the year zero... They estimated, I think it was about 190 million people in the world. And today, 7.7 billion people. And it's growing rapidly and quickly. And where is it headed? It's headed towards a harvest. Before we get to that, though, what can we do about this? (laughs) What can we do with this? First of all, know it. Know it. I think this is one of the things we often get wrong as Christians. Um, the Bible tells us what is to come, not so that we can be filled with worry and anxiety and fear and create panic, right? So every time a, a new sort of war breaks out, everyone says, look, it's the end. A great war has broken out. There's a big famine in such and such a place. That's exactly the opposite of what Jesus said. Jesus says, you'll hear rumors of wars and famines. Do not be alarmed, for they are to come, and yet the end is still to come. He's actually telling you, don't get worried when you hear of that kind of stuff. The end is still to come. That's part of this fallen world. What should stand out is our calm, our peace, our shalom in the midst of it. We we know that the, the Christian faith is reaching the ends of the earth, but we also know that the world will get, in a sense, worse and worse. The weeds and the wheat will grow together. You're calm should be what stands out. The other thing I would say is pray, certainly, um, and continue to witness to people recognizing that we don't know who is wheat and we don't know who is weed. Uh, we don't see the difference. In fact, if Jesus warned the angels not to pull out the weed because you can't be, tell the difference clearly and you might end up hurting the weeds, then I think we should certainly take caution that we don't know where someone's heart will end up. When we share the gospel with someone, we do so with hope and maybe even expectation that they will receive Christ. 
And if they reject him for now, then we wait and we pray and we see what God will do. Never give up on someone. We don't know God's plan. We don't see the heart. God alone, God alone knows whether this person will come to know him. Um, by the way, this is how I approach every funeral. Um, uh, even if somebody, their entire life did not live as a believer in Jesus, I don't know their heart at the end. I don't know. So I'm not going to assume anything on that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about the gospel. I'm going to point people to Jesus and the hope of eternal life in him. But I, I am not going to assume someone did not know the Lord. What happened in their mind and their heart towards the end is ultimately between them and God. We leave it to his hands and we don't, we don't take it into our own hands. We trust him in that. So friends, we patiently look at the world, see its direction, and with peace and calm, join in God's mission and share Jesus. And friends, I hope we continue to share Jesus right here in our city, right here in, our, in the surrounding towns. We have a responsibility to say we're part of this mission. We're part of God's the spread of the wheat. We're part of what God is doing in this world. And even when things get bad and even when things get harsh and you're facing a lot of difficulty and opposition and pressure, we still continue to press on and seek to minister. And we're awaiting what? That final day. Look with me at the last section here, verses 40 to 43. The harvest comes and destinies will be revealed. He says in verse 40, Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. Again, what Darnell was primarily used for, because wood was, I mean, they're talking about the Middle East here. There's not a lot of trees, so... What Darnell would be used for is fuel during the winter. That's primarily what it's used for. It's used for to, to light a furnace. Uh, is he talking about a literal furnace here for those who reject Jesus? No. <laughs> Not talking about a literal furnace here. Um, however, if he's using a furnace as a symbol for judgment, whatever it is symbolizing cannot be a good thing. Right, so I'm, when I say it's not literal, I'm not saying, therefore, we shouldn't be worried about it. There is a warning here, and it's meant to be a warning for a reason. What he is describing is a judgment that is horrific and terrifying, and that the end itself will reveal. 42, he throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, that's a description of exclusion, of, re of rejection, of shame. Somebody who stands outside the city walls, who's not, who's not enjoying the fellowship and celebration of what's happening inside. They're outside with regret, with guilt, a recognition that they failed to be part of what was happening. Then he describes in verse 43, then the righteous, again, the righteous being the fruit of someone who knows the Lord Jesus, Righteous acts, righteous love should be what comes out of a relationship with him. The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Uh, a clear reference to the book of Daniel again here, chapter 12, verse 3, uh, where he describes the eternal uh, nature of those who follow or reject God. But why do they sh sh uh, shine like the sun? Because, of course, there is no darkness, there's no gloom, there's no sadness, there's no sin, there's no evil. There's just bright glory in enjoying the king. And he gives his final encouragement, final command. He who has ears, 
let him hear. Again, this is not a passive parable that you can't do anything about. He's saying, listen, pay attention to what I'm saying and have ears to hear and respond to it. Uh, one thing I would just say before we get into the, the application there is uh, we see this again and again in the Bible. This is nothing new. This, this parable really matches what we read well before it, as I mentioned, Daniel, and we read after it, certainly the book of Revelation. And that is the way God has made the world has a beginning and has an end. And, and, and nowadays, that's not the most popular view. I think more people want to see the world as sort of circular. You know, it, it has no beginning and no end. It just continues over and over, just repeats itself. Uh, so that's sort of uh, the, the idea behind reincarnation. Uh, energy is neither created nor destroyed, so it just stays. And then you sort of, through karma, you kind of change your position, but nothing ever gets ruined, nothing ever gets destroyed entirely, and nothing ever be ends, and nothing ever really begins. That's sort of the view. Just circles on and on and on and on. Bible's never taught that. <laughs> in fact, uh, science kind of points in that direction now, uh, that the universe had to clearly have a beginning at some point in time, and if it had a beginning, and everything's sort of happening the way it is, it will probably have an end. I mean, it will have an end eventually, however long that would be. The Bible's been saying that for, since the very beginning. There's a creator who has made the universe out of nothing. He put it all together. He set it in motion. He's actively involved with his creation. And he will bring this age to its end and start something new. That's been the picture of the Bible all along. Guys, what can we do first? Look at your own heart. Friends, if you, if you don't sense the warning here, then I think you've missed the parable. Do you really know the Lord Jesus? Uh, what, what is the dividing line between the wheat and the weeds? Those who know God through his son, Jesus, and those who don't. And as I mentioned about religion, religion is one thing. And you can go to church your whole life and sit there in the pew and think you're all right with God, but not know Him at all personally. And because I love you guys, I want you to heed this warning that there is a harvest in the end. And those who don't know the Lord Jesus are not heading anywhere good. Whatever the fiery furnace represents, whatever hell is, it is nothing pleasant. And I would pray, and I would hope, and I would want to plead with you over and over to consider whether you really know the Lord Jesus. I'm not saying you have it all figured out. I'm certainly not saying you're sinless. None of us are. In fact, if you think you're sinless, you're, you're probably going the wrong direction. The reality of your sin should become clearer and clearer to you, and your need of Christ as a Savior more and more evident. But consider, friends, your own soul as the harvest approaches. And more than that, as we've talked about in this whole series, share Jesus. He brings us into part of this mission, so help others to see this clearly as well. Help others to know that there is a harvest coming. <laughs> uh, help others to know that even if the Lord tarries, and we say the Lord's coming soon, what's soon? 500 years? I don't know. I don't know how soon is soon. 1,000 years? 10 years? We don't know. That's kind of the point in the scripture. We're not told. Even if the Lord tarries, he waits before his return, your end will come soon, right? I mean, you're not going to live for the next 500 years 
in this world, and then all will be said and done. So friends, let's, let's be busy about the work of the kingdom, sharing Jesus with love. Uh, let people know that the hope is that you'll be gathered into the barn, which is a picture of the home of God, the presence of God, and you'll be gathered and shining like the sun in the kingdom of the Father forever. He will enjoy you as his child, and you will enjoy him forever and ever. Call people to faith. Let them know the good news. Pray for them and be willing to open your mouths. One of the things we're going to talk about during, the, I think, the leadership retreat coming up here is not, not everyone is called to walk on the streets like a James or Mitch or Rich Perron. We, we, and we gladly throw them before the congregation as a great example of someone out there talking to strangers on the street. Uh, not everyone is called to do that. So if that's the message you got, I, I, I don't want to give you that message. Not everyone has to walk up to complete strangers, start conversations, and share Jesus. <laughs> but every one of us is responsible to talk to people, at least those in our own lives that we already know. At least those, our family and our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors who don't know the message of Jesus. Do it prayerfully, do it sensitively, do it winsomely. Uh, being a, a bull in a china shop isn't helping anyone. <laughs> be gentle, be loving, uh, be, be wise enough, uh, loving enough to open your mouth at some point and tell them the message of the gospel that they could hear, believe, and be saved. The world is full of both Christians and non-Christians until the end. As I said, the world is growing exponentially. And there are some who say, uh, eventually it's going to overpopulate itself, and then who knows what happens next. Um, I think we should be wise about that, certainly. Think through that. Spread out, <laughs> one thing. You know, when we conglomerate in these gigantic cities, it isn't always the best thing. And, uh, but, but really, God is sovereign. Know that. Two things we know are true. We know that the gospel will reach the ends of the earth. Uh, we're well on our way to that end. Uh, we know that Israel will begin to receive their Messiah. That's starting to happen <laughs> as well. Uh, I don't know how close that means we are to Christ's return, uh, but this is what we do know. That yes, the world will be full of Christians. And yes, the world will be full of non-Christians. But the harvest will come, and those who believe in Jesus will be gathered into his presence and shine like the sun forever. Would you pray with me? Well, gracious God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus for the parables in particular. Uh, we thank you for the way you speak. Uh, you speak to us even today, 2,000 years later, um, in a totally different part of the planet, in a totally different language, in a totally different culture. <laughs> uh, most of us are not even involved in the agricultural world so much. And yet what you're saying by your spirit, Lord, is clear to us. So I pray, Father, for all of us here, help us, Lord, to take into deep consideration our own soul and where we stand before you, not to be filled with fear and worry that we will not be in glory, but, Lord, as a personal sort of test, do we believe in Jesus? Is he our Savior? Do we really, truly know him? Do we walk with him in relationship with him as Lord and Savior? And, Lord, help us to open our mouths 
Lord, as a church family, as individual Christians, give us wisdom in that, how you're leading and calling each of us individually. But help us, Father, to open our mouths, to share the good news that the people around us might know that there's a God in heaven who loves them, who sent his son, who died for them, who rose from the dead to conquer the grave, and who wants them, invites them, welcomes them into relationship with himself. Continue, Lord, to be with us this fall as we look at sharing Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.